Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters. Our guests on today's episode are Kim Navarro, who's the skating director of Snoopy's Ice in Santa Rosa, California, and Blake Johnson, the programming director for Snoopy's Ice. Thank you both for joining us. Hi, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, it's great to it's great to uh, have you both here. Can both of you please share with our listeners about where you grew up and how you ended up at Snoopy's Ice? Well, I grew up on the ice at Snoopy's Home Ice here in Santa Rosa, California. My mom was a skating coach and I was her firstborn, so I was just at the rink and if I was sitting on the ice in a snowsuit. So if I wanted to go anywhere, I needed to skate there. So that's how I started skating um, here at Stupid's Home Ice. I grew up in Sonoma County and I think a lot, uh, like a lot of California hockey players, I grew up playing street hockey and a little bit of roller hockey and stuck with that long enough to convince my parents to let me start playing ice hockey about 10 or 11 years old and uh, and took it from there. Blake, I like to refer to California as the new state of hockey. Growing up in Minnesota, where I refer to that now as the old state of hockey. Um, do you think that I've got a chance to get that trademarked and, and make a fortune with California as the new state of hockey? Uh, well, you could definitely get it trademarked. I don't know about the fortune. I think there'd be uh, a good 20 other states that'd fight you for that t uh, that title. But with all the numbers that uh, we have, and hopefully you're seeing those with USA Hockey, I believe California is the number one state for uh, at least growing hockey players' um, numbers from years past compared to other states. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really... I mean, it's the fastest growing sport in the country in general, and uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of rinks in California, and people don't really realize it sort of flies under the radar. And to a lot of people, ice rinks exist as something to go to once or twice during the holidays and get your fix of ice skating. But there's a ton of people that that in California have absolutely fallen in love with the game and uh, and and play it like nothing else. You know, it's. It's your it's your guys that'll get off work at ten at night and I'll go play a game and I'll go drink a couple of beers afterwards and that's just part of the weekly routine and it's it's uh you got to do the weird hours and you got to have the commitment to uh to be a California hockey player. Yeah, I've been out here since 1987 and I said that if they ever made a high school letter sport that we would see some of the top hockey players coming out of California and we we've already seen some of that with. A lot of uh, great players coming out. Uh, Austin Matthews out of Arizona and uh, a few others. I think Bobby Ryan actually got his start out here playing roller hockey, um, played for the Ducks for a while. So it, it really has grown and we're starting to see more and more schools. Are there any high schools up in the Santa Rosa area that have it as a letter sport or is that not made it that far yet? It's not a it's not a letter sport and it, it doesn't really work for for Northern California specifically, just because there's I, there's more than a dozen rinks out here, there's just not enough high schools to get behind it. Where for a good decade or decade and a half, the uh, the high school age youth hockey has tried to mix in with certain high schools, and it has worked in some places, specifically down in San Jose, just because they're a big facility, um, and they got a lot of different high schools. So in, in Santa Rosa, we 
partnered with Cardinal Newman and essentially just used their name, but it's, there's just not enough kids playing at each high school to really make it a true school by school varsity letter sport right now. I'll give it a few more years. And with uh, another team north of us now uh, coming into play in the NHL with the Kraken and uh, with San Jose expanding their facilities, let's hope that, uh, that that will happen. Kim, your career got started at a very young age. And there was the movie I, Tanya, which uh, as a figure skater, I'm sure that you enjoyed that movie as much as I did. Um, yes. Was, was it kind of like that for you growing up? Uh, uh, were you skating at a very young age and competing, or did it take a little bit longer until uh, you got a little bit older before you started competing in competitions? Ooh, um, I started competing at a young age, but it, but I also started performing in shows at a young age growing up at Snoopy's Home Ice, uh, where Charles Schultz put on these fantastic shows, um, and I got to be one of the only kids, or the only kid at the time, in the show. Um, but yeah, I started competing. And let's see, it was when, I mean, I did all the, the local competitions, but when I was about 12 is when I went to my first junior nationals. And that is when I started deciding that there was the one discipline of ice dance that I really wanted to do. Um, I went to junior nationals in both pairs and ice dance and in pairs, I was thrown and I had to land on one foot or I was thrown and the boy had to catch me and in ice dance, my feet stayed on the ground and I shimmied my shoulders and we got first place. So that kind of <laughs> sealed the deal for me. And I wanted to be an ice dancer. You kind of beat me to my question of how you migrated into ice dancing. Oh. Can you explain how ice dancing differs from other pairs disciplines in ice skating? Yeah. So there's the four disciplines in skating that you'll see on TV during the Olympics. There's the pairs event where they do jumps and spins and big overhead lifts. And there's the singles, um, men and ladies. And then the ice dance is more inspired by ballroom dance. Uh, the lifts are lower. The dancing is much closer. Um, the, you have to do part of a pattern dance in it. There's like compulsory moves you have to do. So it's one of the four disciplines well, outside of also there's synchronized skating and, and other things. But um, again, it's not as easy as I made it sound as I was as I came to found, find out when I was 12. It's not as easy as shaking your shoulders and winning first place, <laughs> much to my disappointment. But um, it is just more rhythmic and more musical, which is really something that I love. And who in the U.S. are the, the leading pairs or dance skaters that are out there now? We've had the opportunity. Um, Scott Moyer from Canada joined us uh, for a podcast along with uh, a legend in his mind, uh, Mr. Santee, uh, who skated Aww. in the 1980 Olympics. So um, who would be the skaters now that uh, some of our listeners might recognize, either past or current? Well, so when we are looking towards this coming Olympics season, um, Evan Bates and Madison Chalk, and, um, and then Madison and Zach, they're our top two U.S. teams, and they will be both likely to medal in the Olympics. But of course, Merrill Davis and Charlie White, they won the Olympics. They were the first American team to do so and the only American team to do so um, in, in ice dance. And so they are just like, we owe them, the skating community, community owes them the world. They were just, so, they've done so much for our sport. Um, so they're in my mind, uh, royalty. 
I think that we got to meet them in Beijing at a trade show a couple of years ago. Unfortunately for me, I don't recognize the figure skaters the way that uh, that some others might. And I felt one of my most guilty moments in life was at the Olympics in 2002, watching the um, ladies' final competition and being probably about though 50 feet from where Michelle Kwan took her stumble um, to cost her the gold medal. And I'm sitting there watching this and thoroughly enjoying it, but knowing that I've got friends in the industry who would be far more um, in love with the moment and passionate. And it's like I've had opportunities to see Stanley Cup games that I've turned down because I'm going, I'm not a fan of that team. I'd rather have somebody else see it. So uh, and we, we were lucky enough to, to meet them. And then Tong, um, who is a Chinese, he and his wife, I believe, were pair skaters, Tong and Pang, and competed in Vancouver. And he purchased a machine from us for a facility that he's got over in Beijing. So well, I, I'd like to condense my story, but unfortunately, I'm long-winded in my discussions. <laughs> That's awesome. That I'm jealous of of the circles that you that you uh, live in. But you know, well, it's always okay for skaters not to be recognized because we, you know, we need to stay humble. So it's good to know. <laughs> it's it's good to know that people don't know skaters. Well, if you're part of the, you're not near old enough because I think you were born after it happened, but the 1980 Olympic men's hockey team that won gold at Lake Placid, I've been blessed to meet um, several of them. And also I'm old enough that I was able to meet several of the uh, players from the 1960 Olympic team that uh, won a gold medal at Squaw Valley. So um, I consider myself to be very blessed to work for a company uh, that's enabled me to partake in a lot of these things. Are you familiar with the um, Jerry and Debbie Lane? I'm not sure if they're ice dancers or um, just pair skaters there. Um, Jerry and Debbie are out of the Denver area and I've seen pictures of them. Um, again, they're they're of my vintage. Uh, so maybe they're before your time, uh, before you would have learned of their skating. I feel like I should know them. So I feel silly that I don't. Yes, I mean, it sounds so familiar, so. Okay. Well, they, they've been actively involved in the ISI and the PSA and USFS, so um, you may have run across their paths at one point in time. Kim, your career probably took you um, many places. Is, is there any place in the world that's a favorite for your travels? One of my favorite cities has been Vienna because I love soccer tort, that chocolate cake, and that's always a great post-competition uh, treat. And then I just love going to Japan. Japan's amazing. And always getting to skate there has been, they really love skating and um, yeah, and I love Japan. So those are my two. Great. So does that make you a fan of sushi or is that uh, not on the palate? Yes, I love sushi, but I feel like a dumb American when I go there because you know, our sushi is very, like I like a California roll, so that's kind of, that's not right, but but I love the food in Japan and I appreciate getting to eat a little bit more authentically when I'm there. Well, when when Paula comes up to visit next time, have her um, grab you and take you out. She is a sushi connoisseur and she can teach you all about the different kinds of sushi and, and what's good to eat and what's not. Perfect. Blake, and you're, have you traveled with uh, playing hockey, or is it uh, pretty much stay within California and participate here? Uh, it's 
I haven't done much, especially internationally. Uh, pretty much west of the Mississippi is where I've stayed, but but all the all the mountain states down to Texas and uh, up and down the coast. And you're rather young as well. Have you noticed how much it's changed? I know for me, it's a dramatic change since the. Uh, it, it all pretty much goes back to the Wayne Gretzky trade is what uh, burst hockey upon the West Coast. Not that, you know, there wasn't already teams here. Um, but have you noticed that, that hockey has expanded into some of the uh, other regions of the Western half of the U.S.? Yeah, and I I think that, I mean, even, even without the NHL, there's a lot of towns in California and along the West Coast and even into the Rockies that have hockey rinks with with great programs and a lot of support behind it, but it's a lot. Ha- it's a lot like Canada was before television became big, where all the small towns had their junior team or their senior team, and that whole town would would be behind that team and fall in love with it. And that's a lot like it is here. We just have access to all the different games on television all the time. But people that towns and communities that have ice rinks love it and support it. And there's a lot of good programs that. Uh, that aren't really nationally or even regionally recognized. Blake, can you tell our listeners uh, what your role is as hockey coordinator at Snoopy Ice, as well as who and what the Santa Rosa Growlers are? <clears throat> so I'm the hockey coordinator. Our youth program is separate from us. So so we book their ice and help with their events and make sure that they uh, – they have as smooth a building to, to, to operate out of as possible. I run our adult league and our adult league tournaments, and that includes the Snoopy Senior World Hockey Tournament, which has been going on for more than 40 years now. Uh, that, that draws 70-plus teams every July out here. We have a 10-day tournament with more than 100 games on our one sheet of ice over that week and a half, and it's it's uh, it's become a a destination and a bit of a bucket list item for a lot of adult hockey players to uh, finally come out here and come play in the Snoopy tournament. Um, it's it really got its start because Charles Schultz obviously adopted that tournament. It started down in Southern California and he moved it up here in the '70s and and it was a chance for for regular guys and men and women, just regular folks, to come and meet a meet a celebrity that's internationally recognized and and play in our beautiful building um and then trend talking about the growlers it's uh we're a senior a team and we play a pretty damn high level of hockey obviously we're not professional hockey players um we all got we all have day jobs and we all love the sport and want to keep playing it into our 20s and 30s and uh we make our our way around the western united states there's a big senior a uh there's a lot of senior A teams in the in the Rockies and uh, Colorado and Utah, Wyoming and Idaho and uh, and uh, basically it's a bunch of guys that want to play the highest level of hockey and we play well enough to uh, to sell out a building and attract a crowd and really put on a a good show in in some communities that might lack entertainment and uh, fit six eight hundred people in a rink for a night and give them some beer and everybody has a great time. Do you run into any teams out of Minnesota? I think that there is a team from War Road. Um, 
uh, and then is it Bucks Furniture? Is that uh, does that ring a bell with you? Yeah, there's a that league out there. I think it's the Great Lakes Hockey League. That's been around for if not a hundred years, pretty close to a hundred years. They're the they're the only senior A team that's affiliated with USA Hockey, um, just because they've been around for so flipping long. And there's a lot of teams, a lot of history, a lot of great buildings out there. Uh, one of our one of the guys on our team plays out there. I'm gonna kick myself for not remember the name of his team, um, but. Ideally, in the next year or two, we'll be able to make a road trip out there and play a couple of teams, and hopefully we can get them into Santa Rosa and show them the, uh, the California senior hockey experience. Well, there's a lot of great buildings uh, in Minnesota, um, a lot of great hockey history up in War Road. We've had the opportunity to do some podcasts with some of the Minnesota hockey players that I've had connections to. And one of the ones that uh, sticks in my mind a lot is Henry Boucher, who came out of War Road, Minnesota, and uh, played in Native American, uh, played in the Olympics uh, for USA Hockey, as well as uh, playing in the NHL with the Red Wings and the, the North Stars. So um, great, great history. And I hope you get the opportunity to go out there and play in some of the old barns um, up in northern Minnesota that have some of the great history. I, can you expand a little bit on, are there any limitations on the number of teams that are allowed to play uh, in the Snoopy's tournament or are there, um, you know, what do they have to have age bracket wise? Is it something you have to be over a certain age? Maybe a little more history on that, please. Yeah. The, uh, so the tournament is the, the youngest age is the 40 and up division. And uh, we go all the way up to 75 plus, um, we shoot for about 72 teams to fill out all of our divisions, and we'll go 40 ABC, 45 AB, 50 plus ABCD, so on and so on, until we get 17, 18 divisions that that are relatively competitive. Um, and we got we got teams that come out that have always wanted to and finally make the journey out, and we got teams that have been coming out for 20 straight years, and they make it a point that every summer they're going to come out here and uh, enjoy this region of the world and go play some golf and go visit some wineries or breweries and really make a whole week of it. We, the way we structure the tournament, it's you, get, you got three games. We don't have a championship. We'll award first, second, third place just based on those, those three round robin games. And it turns it into a tournament where it's not really about winning and losing. We don't, we don't have any interest in having the, the emotions that come with adult hockey when teams are really trying to to win a trophy in a certain game down by a couple goals. It's really about enjoying the game and seeing people that you see once a year and really taking in what Santa Rosa and Sonoma County has to offer. A little bit like the Little League World Series where it's more about the event than it is about who wins and who loses. Yeah, don't get me wrong. People love people bring back their gold medals and they'll show me the eight gold medals they have in the 15 years they've been here. And obviously whenever you get on the ice and strap them on, nobody wants to lose, but at the end of the day, everybody's out here to have a great time in a great facility and, uh, and just enjoy playing a the game they love in a, in a beautiful part of the country. There would be some people who would be very disappointed if I didn't make this connection. Um, have you in your career been fortunate enough to skate with 
or meet any of the members of the 1980 Olympic gold medal winning men's hockey team? No, I haven't been lucky enough. I haven't had the privilege to, to do that. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, there's a lot of those guys that are still out there skating. Maybe there needs to be uh, a division that those guys can compete in and have them invited out to, to visit the wonderful facility that you're at. I think that's a great idea. And uh, based on the conversation, we'll be looking to you for some contacts. I'll be happy to hook you up with the lady who's uh, uh, in charge of the promotion of that team. Here's a question for both of you. Do you ever battle over um, how you want the ice temp to be uh, with the figure skaters preferring the ice to be a little bit softer and hockey players preferring it to be harder? And if so, who wins that battle? Uh, yeah, there absolutely is a battle. Um, we replaced our floor a couple years ago. We had a 50-year-old sand floor and with the original pipes that we replaced just a couple of years ago with a concrete floor and and new pipes and uh we've definitely kept the ice thinner and therefore it's definitely harder and more suited for hockey like it hasn't been in the past um so pre-2018 the hockey players would always always give the arena some grief and talk about how we had relatively soft ice and since then we're we're hearing about how hard our ice is. So that 5 p.m. and on crowd loves what we have right now. The morning crowd would, would like us to put a little bit more water down before their sessions and soften it up a little bit. I will say that overall, I've heard good things about the ice, especially since the renovation. But I am trying to get to know that side better because I will say while I competed, when I was a competitive figure skater, I cared about the ice a lot. This was on the East Coast where I was training. And I cared about every little nick in my blade. But in 2010, I turned professional and everything switches when you do that. So I don't even pay attention to the ice. There's like a big hole in the ice. It doesn't matter. You're skating outside, you're inside, you're skating your 300th show of the year and you're not even paying attention. So I do a particularly bad job of paying attention to the ice and I'm trying to do a better job now that I'm in this new role as the skating director. So. For me, if there's ice, I'm happy. So, but so I, I will I will get better so I can fight with Blake on this topic. <laughs> with uh, the machine that you have, it goes back several years, and maybe we need to have more discussions with uh, Tamara to see when a new machine might be in the budget. Are you folks considering, or maybe you uh, might not be aware of products such as fast ice and level ice? Um, that will help improve the level sheet of the ice surface, as well as being able to control your ice temperature to maybe satisfy both sides of the skating world. Um, is that something either of you might have an interest in seeing on the new machine? Our ice is really good, and we have some some really skilled people taking care of our ice right now that have been around for a long time. And with the new floor, we've been able to dive into exactly what we want to do to the ice at a certain time, whether it's hockey or figure skating and uh and pay more attention to it and obviously whatever tools and technologies out there now that that wasn't around when we bought our machine and uh installed new chillers 20 years ago or so uh i know there's a lot more out there but as an arena the ice is what we have to sell right so we want to make that as good as possible and if there's tools that we can use to do that we're absolutely interested
Do either of you have any horror stories about ice conditions uh, skating in your career outside of your facility? Obviously, that facility has great ice, but maybe in without naming a facility, uh, maybe share with our listeners um, what kind of things or what was maybe the worst thing you ever ran into uh, while you're out playing or skating? I mean, playing hockey, I got the the traditional stuff that probably everybody's going to face at some point in their life, whether Zamboni breaks down for whatever reason and you're playing a third game in a row on a sheet that's just been hand scraped like the old days or uh, or Zam getting stuck on the ice with a conditioner down for a few minutes and leaving a trench and when an arena's on a schedule you don't have time to spend 20 minutes patching those holes and uh, you just gotta deal with what you're dealt and and uh, know where those hazards are. Yeah, and I've, I've skated on a lot of out, outdoor rinks. It went in Lake Placid at, um, at a hotel. Anyways, it was it was melting, and we had to do such a uh, watered-down version of our performance, and then we were supposed to skate with guests. And I remember my skating partner pushing a guest on a chair, and the chair went into this mush, and the guest fell over, and my partner basically did a front flip over this guest. Everyone was safe. It was a nice little trick, but... Um, yeah, I've skated on tons of outdoor ice um, that is, you know, ever changing from hour one to hour two. And again, we, we all we all stayed on top of it, though, on top of the ice. So that was good. That's always good. And it's amazing to me um, in all the years that I've been in the industry to watch uh, what some surfaces are that skaters are subjected to. And I think it's more in the figure skating world than it is in the ice hockey world. Although I, I have seen the outdoor game in Vegas where the Kings played out there and uh, they were trying to figure out how to make ice there. There is also one down in the, I think, the Suncoast Dome down in Tampa um, where they were trying to freeze ice on a surface that was hotter than bejeebers and they were able to pull the game off for the most part, but uh, had a glycol leak when one of the lines was punctured during the game but it's amazing that you're able to kim to get out there on like these canned uh ice shows that uh they create put them on stages and just not only this quality that you're skating on but the size of the surface how do you adapt to that yeah that's that's tricky i feel like for especially for ice dance i always like skating with a little bit more speed. So when you skate on something so small, you really have to just go from kind of one station to the next to show off your big trick. And then if you're an ice dancer, maybe you don't necessarily have have big tricks. Um, but yeah, my skating partner is what he'll say uh, before we do something like a, a show on small ice. He says, big face, little feet. So we would just try to perform as much as we could and not really move. That's amazing. It takes a lot of talent to do that. And I respect... Uh... Um, skaters that get out there not only just on something like that but with those those silly little points that are on the end of figure skates as a hockey player I don't think those things should be on there but there's a lot of people in the industry that I've met that I respect that say that it's vital to being able to skate and that they say that it's actually easier to learn to skate in figure skates than it is in hockey skates but as somebody who's used to pushing off on his toes as a hockey skater, um, those things come in the way and caused me to face plant. So you never learned on figure skates? 
No, I learned on ho- hockey is uh, big back in Minnesota, and that was what I adapted to. And um, it, it's just it's a difference. And uh, again, I, there's people I respect that uh, will tell me that it's far easier to instruct somebody who's never skated to get on a pair of figure skates and then um, transition to hockey skates. But uh, I'll take your opinion on that as well. It is. It is way easier to learn on figure skates, um, at least right in the beginning, I think. But I say that as somebody who is very unfamiliar with hockey skates. Um, but I will say, Blake knows this. My dream, one of my dreams is to do a Battle of the Blades type fundraiser or show at some point and get our hockey players onto figure skates because one of the reasons is those great videos of them tripping on their toe picks. Yeah, for that reason. Well, so it's not for that reason, but that's I did that show in Canada, Battle of the Blades, and that's all their B-roll footage is hockey players, known, well-known, really great hockey players getting tripped up by those toe picks. That's going to lead me to a question I was going to get to, but since you've opened the door for it, I'm going to ask away. You uh, Can you tell us about your experience with Battle of the Blades? How great was it? And were you ever considered... Um, for skating with the stars or skating with the celebrities, which was even far more entertaining to watch people who had never skated before trying to perform some of the tricks that they wanted them to. And I believe it was Chris Jenner or uh, Bruce Jenner at the time that it's now Caitlyn Jenner was one of the, the contestants. And uh, just interesting stuff watching it as an interested observer. So tell us a little bit about uh, your experiences. Right. Well, so that skating with the stars, or I don't know if that's exactly what it was called. I was not in the country during that time, but I knew a lot of people working on that show. And it sounds like it was a wild adventure. And the thing that makes that that formula a little bit harder or funnier or more under, more entertaining is that these are people that have no experience with skating. So it's, it's, it's tricky. That's why the Battle of the Blades show in Canada is so fantastic, because these are people familiar with, very familiar with the ice, um, maybe not familiar with figure skates, but you, what those hockey players could do was insane. I mean, they did split triple twists with some of their partners. Um, you know, they would do, I got my, my partner, Russ Courtnell, to do a bracket, which is a difficult turn in skating. Um, we would do bounce spins, but that, that was something that maybe wasn't accessible to the the people who were just learning to skate for the first time. Um, but yeah, I think those shows are so much fun because you learn that even hockey players have inner showmen in them. They like a little sparkle. They like a little spotlight. They like some music. So Blake, that's my big dream. I think you guys need to make that happen for the Christmas show. I, I think it would just be spectacular. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and it's funny, I've sat on the ISI board, which is an organization that serves the ice skating industry. For our founder, um, Frank Zamboni, was one of the founding fathers of that. And we've talked about that at their great big championships that they have about getting the board together and have the board do a production number. And um, some of the skate, like I used to skate and now my body won't listen to what my brain's telling it to do. Um, so I've kind of given up the hockey aspect of it so that I don't fall down and have a life-altering event now um, at my advanced age. And it, it's it's something that I think would be great because we could all do a twizzle 
or we could do a Wally Wally or one of those other really technical moves that uh, the skating world knows and loves. I want to see the twizzle. Yeah. <laughs> Good use of vocabulary there. <laughs> I've learned a little bit in the 40 years I've been involved in the industry. So I've, one question for both of you, uh, have either of you driven a Zamboni machine? And if so, how skilled would you both say that you are and how would you rate the other on their driving skills or lack thereof? Uh, yeah, I drive the Zamboni pretty regularly. I used to do it more so, um, but I've been doing a good four and a half years and I, I love it, honestly. It's a 15 minutes of Zen where you get your old, your Zen ice sheet and make sure it's nice and flat and you didn't miss any spots and you got the right amount of water and you got the right amount of blade. And uh, it's a nice little take a break from your computer challenge every single day. So Blake is much better at driving the Zamboni than I am because I only recently upgraded from a two-door bug to a compact SUV. So I'm still working my way towards ever driving a Zamboni. I think that that should be something that should be part of this competition thing. If you agree to learn to drive a Zamboni machine, then Blake maybe agrees to um, doing a skating competition uh, with figure skates on. What do you say? I like it. The stakes are getting higher. There we go. Yeah, we can, we can work something out. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Don't you think it'd be fun to watch somebody who's a very proficient skater try to learn how to drive one of those great big beasts as they're maneuvering it around the right the the rink everybody thinks that it's easy and you know that it's like a little bit opposite of nascar where we um go slow and turn to the right and they go fast and turn to the left so i think that th this would be something i, I want to be there for this so that we can video this and we can use it on our social media that kim the longtime skater is now a proficient Zamboni driver, and Blake is the one that's going to do that. Perfect. And when yeah, I as mess long up, as I don't have to. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was like, when I mess up, just for the record, I ne I never said it was easy, because I I will show you how not easy it is. But what were you going to say, Blake? I was just going to say, as long as I don't have to skate on it after you resurface it. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Kim, one of the things that I noticed on your wiki page is it says that you retired at the young age of 29. Now, how great of a feeling is that? I'm many years the senior, and I've been dreaming about retirement. What is it like to be retired at 29? Oh, I, well, then I just started getting paid, which was awesome. So, right, I retired from competitive skating, and I'm sure the wiki page did not say at the young age because. Um, that is a pretty old age to still be competing. But luckily in dance, that's not particularly old because um, ice dance is a little easier on the body. But yeah, so then um, what it felt like to retire from competitive skating was to get then to get paid to dress as a neon snake in a random city in Germany. So that's what retirement looked like for me. And have you enjoyed the three or four years of retirement that it's been? Thank you. Yes, it's only been a very brief retirement because I'm only 29 and a half um, plus some. 
I have loved professional skating. I will say that's something that um, I've always loved growing up at Snoopy's Home Ice and having experience in the professional skating world. You can't um, turn professional when you're a, a kid, really. So I all the you know the competitive skating track was the one available to me. But then once I retired and got to do a couple years, if not a lot more years of professional skating, that has been just the greatest um, greatest experience of my life. I'd like to ask this next question to both of you. If you could both share with our listeners what it's like to be part of one of the most iconic and well-known ice rinks in the world. Uh, share some of your experiences that uh, you've been able to be a part of and what makes that facility so special to both you and the skaters that come to visit. On a day-to-day -day basis, we have people coming just to walk inside the building and see what it is people coming from around the world when i mean sonoma county in general is a bit of a tourist destination and to have the museum the schultz museum on the campus brings a lot of folks that wouldn't necessarily go into any sort of hockey rink um so we do get a lot of folks coming in just looking around and if nobody's been here it's i'd say it's the most unique building that i've ever been in the unique the most unique arena um, it has a, a Swiss chalet theme, which uh, with a bunch of stuff on the on the front of the building, a bunch of little windows and little garden boxes on on the outside, and then on the inside we have a bunch of faux windows and and houses, and we have four giant murals that that cover our wall of the the Swiss Alps in the springtime, and it's 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 a big departure from that the typical barn that that folks are in that's been repurposed which that's been a, a meat packing plant and now we shoved a couple of ice sheets in it and this place it's obviously a rink so it's not it's not warm but it feels warm when you come in here and it's it's really welcoming whether you're gonna whether you're here to skate for the first time or you're a, a weekly skater or you're coming here for a competition whether it's figure skating or hockey it's it's just a whole different atmosphere inside this building. Yeah, and I think Blake's already touched on it. It's more than a skating rink because it is what Charles Schultz built for for himself and the community. So it, it's where he came and would eat breakfast before he'd work on his Peanuts comic strip. And it's part of a larger campus that is is Peanuts. And um, you can feel that when you're when you're at the rink that this place was created for multiple things, multiple for figure skating and for hockey and for entertainment. Sometimes when I grew up there, the ice would get covered and a huge extreme uh, inline skating, skateboarding BMX show would take place. And Tony Hawk performed there and Matt Hoffman, which is insane to say at, that this thing happened at a skating rink. And there would be camp rollerblade across the, the street and there'd be multiple ramps. And then the ice would get small and these amazing holiday Christmas shows would would come into town. And I think it speaks volumes that people like Robin Cousins and, and Scott Hamilton and so many uh, elite skaters would spend their Christmas in Santa Rosa to be a part of this Christmas show and be a part of the facility. So um, I don't know that that just you can feel that in there, even though maybe not all those events still happen, but you know that it's more than a skating rink. 
Well, and you lobbed me a softball, so that uh, leads me into uh, the next question I had is, can you share with our listeners about the ice skating show? Uh, did you get the opportunity to um, skate with Richard Dwyer, Mr. Debonair, um, or is he somebody that you still get the opportunity to bring up for that skating show? Oh my gosh, if we had any event um, where Richard was invited, I know he would be uh, in Santa Rosa in a heartbeat. It's it's a home to him. But yeah, I got to, I was Richard's page, which means I brought out the bouquet of flowers he would give to an audience member. And that was a huge, huge honor. And one that I um, was able to do a couple years ago and a couple years prior to that. And it just, <laughs> which was nice, but it's different when a an older woman brings out those flowers than a young, than a young kid. <laughs> it wasn't as cute, I will say. But, but yeah, um, Richard is one of the many, many, amazing skaters that have come through our doors. Truly blessed to have him on one of our podcasts uh, earlier um, in our in our listing of podcasts. And I go back to when I was a, a young boy and my dad worked for the North Stars and worked at the Met Center. And one of the deals for us as kids was always getting to go see the ice capades. And um, we were fortunate enough to have pretty decent seats. and. Uh, Mr. Debonair coming out with his top hat and tails and giving out the roses to uh, the ladies that were seated around the uh, ends and sides of the rink. So he's truly one of the nicest gentlemen I have ever met in my entire life and still quite the showman. And I hope that uh, he's able to perform for you guys and for the guests that would come up to the facility the next time that you guys have a show. Uh, you touched a little bit, both of you touched a little bit on the different things that are at the site, not just the rink, but there are other things such as possibly Snoopy Gallery, Schultz Museum. Could uh, either of you or both of you touch a little bit um, on what else is there besides the ice rink for people to take in when they come up in that area? Uh, yeah. So we have the Charles M. Schultz Museum and Research Center. I think I said that in the right order. Uh, that's just across the street from us on our campus. And that's that's the big draw for, for the people outside of our community. Uh, we have a gift shop and gallery with all your Snoopy swag that you could want. Uh, there's, we have a great upstairs feature that shows the history of the building. Um, and then also on the other side of the campus, we have what used to be Sparky's studio, which is still being worked out of, um, they're putting in an archive room also over there for a lot of the originals and the stuff that's been around for a long time. Um, so there's there's a ton of stuff to do. We have a, a great, we have a baseball field across the street. There used to be a, a roller hockey rink across the street. Um, there's definitely a, a full day of stuff to see around the campus. Kim, do you have anything to add about uh, things people might want to see either on site or in the area? Yeah, I, I do. The the museum, the Charles M. Schultz Museum and Research Center that is just right across the street from the rink is a highlight for me and my children. There's one room where they have you can do coloring and they invite you to post your picture up on the bulletin board. And at the same time, they're playing some um, Peanuts movies in that room room on the TV, which is great. And then separately, there's a movie theater and there's a whole rotation of P 
Peanuts movies or videos that are playing. And then they have, um, I guess you say recreated, it really feels like they just cut and transported Sparky's desk in the area he worked in when he created his strip is there. And it's so much history right there. It's amazing. It, it, it um, yeah, it makes me nostalgic. And I imagine if you, even if you haven't ever, hadn't seen that before, hadn't met Sparky that you, you get it though. Like you get that this is history and this is really, um, fascinating so and the exhibits they have the museum that rotate are awesome they're awesome so i just can't recommend the museum enough well i believe he has ties to minnesota and uh, another life ago um the charlie the the person that he characterized as charlie brown was an actual person as i understand it and um he spoke at a high school um high school event for a former uh, person in my life. And um, it, it, uh, it, it's, he's such a special man. It's unfortunate that he's not with us. And what a legacy he created with his wonderful uh, cartoon strip and just something that uh, the Zamboni family has always treasured, um, how kind Mr. Schultz was to talk about the Zamboni and not only to do that in his cartoon strips, um, but also to be a customer of ours for so many years. And it goes back to, uh, I think the very first machine that was there was an HDA that would have gone back to like 1968. And I think that I sold that machine as a used machine into Rhinelander, Wisconsin is where the last time I recollect that machine being. So um, it, it's been a great experience for us uh, I have not got to spend as much time up there as I would like to, and uh, maybe that's something if uh, if I can work my magic and get a new machine that I'll be able to come up and visit for a longer period of time uh, and, and just enjoy all of the things that the site has to offer. I'm going to go on to the last segment. I consider myself to be a foodie, and if I was standing up and you could see a profile view of me, um, you'd understand why. I consider myself to be a foodie. Um, I'd like to lose about uh, 25 to 30 pounds of my foodiness, um, but uh, that's been a challenge lately. Um, I'm gonna start with uh, you, Kim. White Castle, yay or nay? Oh, it's a nay for me because I don't eat meat, but I used to really like White Castle when I was younger. Okay, good for you. Now, did you get the opportunity to have them fresh and cooked in front of you? Are just the frozen version that you can get at the grocery store. Frozen, frozen all the way. Oh, you need to have the full experience if you you ever. You don't even need to eat it. You can just go see it, and it's usually best served at about 1:30 in the morning after um, maybe visiting a bar or two uh, after skating or playing a hockey game. Blake's kind of nodding his head. Blake, have you ever had the experience uh, to visit a White Castle at that hour of the morning? Uh, I've pulled a couple out of the freezer a time or two, but I haven't had the in-person fully, uh, full experience. Oh, we need to get you to Minnesota. When you go to there to play hockey, you need to make sure that you visit the White Castle on Lake Street. You might be able to see a, a sign there that said Doug was here. I'll keep an eye out for it. Okay. Um, Blake, we'll start with you. What's your favorite food, your go-to food? Uh... It's either got to be sushi or some street tacos. 
And is there a great street taco place up there in Santa Rosa that you can recommend? I got one right across the street here, uh, Ortega's Market. Um, fantastic. Uh, the carnitas there is second to none, I think. Um, the Alpas store is fantastic. You can't really go wrong. You can get something else each day of the week. I was uh, just up to Seattle to visit the Kraken's new practice facility. Uh, and it was a spectacular facility and I was looking for something to find and there was walking distance away what said it was a Mexican place. And when I walked down to find it, it was like a taco truck parked in a parking lot uh, that was there stationary and their carnitas was spectacular. So if you ever get up to visit the Kraken's practice facility, you'll have to give it a try. It's in a parking lot with surprisingly a Starbucks. I guess there's a couple Starbucks up in Seattle. Uh, along with uh, a McDonald's and a 76 station. So, um, and how about you, Kim? Uh, since you're not a meat eater, what uh, would be your go-to food? Oh, um, I also like sushi and Mexican food, but I really like the banh mi that you can, the tofu banh mi that you can get at, I think it's called Kettles. Um, Blake can correct me if I'm wrong. It's across the street from the rink. It's a Vietnamese place. And yeah, tofu banh mi. I like that. Not a big fan of that tofu stuff. I, I've had some and I can eat it as long as it's spicy, but it just, the texture, the flavor, well, I think I might have to take a pass and, and go for a Portillo's uh, Italian beef or uh, a slice of pizza. Um, what is the best meal that you've ever had in all your travels? We'll start with you, Kim. <laughs> You're not going to like this. We were in, oh man, now I'm gonna forget if it was, we were in Japan and it was a whole tofu meal. It was like 12 different courses of tofu, but it was really good, it was really good. But I will say one other, I did a show outside of Chicago and it was around the time um, of my husband, around the same time as my husband's birthday. And we went to a fancy restaurant that they would do like scientific e almost like experimenting things with their food. And one was like a balloon made of taffy. It was really weird because I felt very, like I had par poor manners, but you like ate the balloon, you know, or they'd be like, oh, this plant that was on your table is actually your next course. You know, it was, it was fun. It was memorable. I can't remember how it all tasted, but the, it was memorable that it happened. That's pretty interesting. I think the most bizarro world one was when I was in Sweden. And they were, I had Paula as a host who was kind enough to include me in the meal. And it was a Michelin five star, which I don't understand because I'm used to, you know, the White Castle is pretty high up on my connoisseur list. But they grated reindeer hoof and put it on something. And that was, that was uh, pretty far out there. But it was the, probably the best meal I've ever had other than, a meal down uh, in Dallas um, that was a spectacular meal as well. Uh, how about you, Blake? Uh, I'd probably say in Mexico, stopping on the on the side of the road to another another taco spot that had just just the most authentic stuff down in Baja, right off the side of the road. And and really, it's I mean, it's probably not the best food I've ever had, but. Uh, just the experience around it of 
coming home on this week-long trip and being exhausted and just trying to get back to the States and finding this unreal gem that, uh, that you'd never, ever make it to unless you're hungry right at that time. I love that we have another person who's willing to do roadside tacos. <laughs> I have an experience with roadside chicken down in Puerto Vallarta that my mother uh, is still wondering why I'm alive to this day. Um, favorite place that either of you have been to? We're going to start with you, Blake. Um, honestly, I got to do a kind of cop-out answer. I'd, I'd say Mexico. Um, I went down, we drove down Baja to this, this place right on the eastern side of uh, Baja on the west, right there in the Gulf, and uh, was out there for a few days um, and swam with some whale sharks and got to do a bunch of snorkeling and and uh, it was a great experience with it. Not a super touristy destination and being out there with a bunch of friends and having a great trip and doing something that's off the beaten path that wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be in any uh, vacation brochures. So slightly better than Barstow? Uh, I mean, well, Barstow, you're only halfway there to where you're going. So you're definitely not <laughs> trying to stay there. Okay. And Kim, how about you? Uh, I'm going to space on the, I can't believe it, on the name, but there was a small um, ski town we went to in Japan after one of our shows. And it was, you know, they had the hot springs everywhere. You, They had hot springs that you just like a foot trough. It was interesting. You could put your feet in uh, the hot water. And then there was a separate spot where people would come and put their eggs in to just hard boil their their eggs but we went skiing and it was amazing and we had some good sushi and uh, I can't I'm so sorry that I can't think of the name but it was like that my top trip ever I'm wondering if that was like Nico or on the way up I years ago when I was in Japan we went up and stayed at a resort area that was um, up in the mountains I'm not much of a snow guy kind of guy I like the sand between my toes instead of the snowflakes doing 25 years of penance having to deal with that crap in, in minnesota so i much prefer going to a sandy beach maybe maui would be uh, a place that i'd be okay and just dropping dead over there so um one thing i wanted to ask earlier was uh, you have two daughters kim and are you getting both of them into skating uh or are you going to maybe get them into a, a sport called hockey that they could get a scholarship playing at one of the many universities uh back east of here oh yeah that's a good question i actually i my two daughters are very different it's a dumb thing to say but i'm shocked at how different two people can be and i feel like people have already told me my oldest who's four is going to be a figure skater and my youngest who's two is going to be a hockey player and it kind of seems like that's going to happen my four-year-old did just finish her first ice show. She was in a little ice show this summer. And my two-year-old, I, I got her on the ice and she was like wild. So we seem to be on the right track for that. One figure skater, one hockey player. Well, that's good. We did another podcast. I'm gonna shamelessly advertise here with Lindsay Fry, who was born in Tucson and grew up in Chandler, I believe that it is. And I, I could be wrong with that, but she was an Olympian and played on the U.S. women's hockey team in uh, Russia 
and won a silver medal. And she is a very engaging young lady who is also the analyst on the radio for the Phoenix Coyotes. And I, I think that maybe if you introduce both your daughters uh, to the sport of hockey, she might be able to help you. She's got some great training programs. So I, I think that it's it's something, give them a shot and see what they can do. I, they, they might surprise you and turn out to be great Olympian hockey players. Okay, noted, I will, I will. <laughs> Blake, how about you? Do you have kids as yet? No kids. No kids. Okay. Well, you'll have to wait for that. Would you get them into figure skating with those little pointy things <laughs> on the front of the skates, or would they be more hockey players? Uh, well, my future non-existent kids, uh, I'd put them on put them on skates and see which edges they prefer to use. If they if they want to use that toe pick, they can use that toe pick. Um, I'd love to have some hockey players. Figure skaters would be all right uh, as long as they. If they want to do ice sports, that's the biggest thing. That's great. We need more ice skaters so that we can sell more of our product. We appreciate your passion for that. And then the last question I'm going to have for, uh, for both of you, and we'll start out with Blake. Who are your sports teams? Do you have a favorite team and favorite sport? Are you a hockey fan, uh, obviously? Um, what's your hockey team? Would it be the Ducks of Anaheim, or are you more going to be like a shark guy uh, being closer to them? Uh, I'm a I'm a hockey fan first. I'm a Sharks fan second. Um, it's uh, yeah, sort of born into that around the same time and uh, been through a lot. And one of the I think underrated, long-suffering fan bases with the with a disappointment. It's it's been great to have some really good teams that would always break your heart and probably entering into a few uh, dark seasons ahead of us. Uh, I'm also a baseball guy, big fan of the Giants, um, and there's not many things in this in this world that I hate, especially when it comes to sports. But there's nothing I cannot stand more than Dodger blue. So I might be a bigger Dodger hater than I am all of the other things that I just said. So your favorite team would be who's ever playing the Dodgers. Yeah, my two favorite teams are the Giants and whoever's playing the Dodgers. Absolutely. There we go. There we go. Now, you said that you're a long-suffering fan. I beg to differ. Um, your team, the Sharks, were originally tied to Minnesota, um, and the Guns um, were given a deal to have an expansion team. You don't know disappointment until you are a Minnesota fan, and maybe we need to introduce you some books about Minnesota heartbreak, um, four lost Super Bowls, two lost Stanley Cups. It's gotten so bad as a Minnesota fan, and not that it's a bad thing because they're a very great team and a great organization, but I've tied myself to the WNBA Minnesota Lynx so that I can actually cheer for a team that wins. That's, that's where I've gotten down into. So I don't want to hear about the fact that the Sharks maybe have had a couple bumps in the road and maybe not brought Stanley home to where it could be, but you really need to get some, some focus on what is being a losing fan and, and take a look at what's going on in Minnesota. Well, you got, you got unlimited pawns out there to go cry yourself to sleep with every night and we're stuck playing ball hockey in a cul-de-sac. All right. But 
Would you rather pick oranges and apricots or shovel snow? Uh, yeah, I'll take the oranges and apricots. There you go. There you go. Kim, how about you? Are you a sports fan? Oh, my husband's going to die when knowing that you asked this question when I tell him because he makes fun of me. I obviously really like watching skating because that's the thing I know and the thing I did. Um, so that's what I get. I get really excited when I see that on TV. My husband's a huge Giants fan and my skating partner is a huge Eagles fan. So I had moved as you do when you become partners with a male in the sport, the female moves to the male. So at whatever, 24, 25, I found myself in Philadelphia with this like huge Eagles fan skating. So I just had to like push back against that. So I had to not be interested in the Eagles. I like the Phillies a bit, but um, yeah, so I am super, super lame, but I had to stand my ground and not get involved in cheering for sports too much. But I will say right before things shut down here in California, I was excited to get ready to go to my first Growlers game because I went to the ice arena one day and I saw a stand like they had been selling beer or something the, the night before. And I was like, wait, what was happening at this rink? That looks like fun. I want to go. So I was I was just about to become a Growlers fan because I something in my hometown and paired with beer. So. So I'll pick that up when it starts again. So you're a fan of barley pops. That's a good thing. <laughs> the adult beverage. I'm guessing that you've never heard the term barley pop before. No, is that a Minnesota thing? Well, I don't know if it's a Minnesota thing or not, but it, it might be a hockey thing where we're going to go out and have a couple barley pops after the game. See, I'm, sorry, I'm I'm not yet a hockey fan, but I'm working on it. Okay. Well, and when you said Eagles fan, I couldn't think that you were deprived of oxygen in the birth canal that would make you a Philadelphia Eagles fan that you had to be a BC Eagles fan go no, you I'm, go you Eagles from yeah. Boston College no no I'm not no I'm 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 not neither but my skin okay. is a you know he's born and bred Philadelphian so he loved the did, Eagles and was surprised he, that not everyone did and she did he take a couple tumbles on the ice and damaged I, his head all signs have point to yes. So okay. I, yeah, <laughs> he gets yeah. a lot of. He wasn't the fan that went when they had the Super Bowl in Minnesota that stole the seat and was brazen enough to check it in as carry or as baggage uh, on his flight home. No, no. Okay, he, all right. Well, but he did, well, he did go to Minnesota just to be present for the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, I hope he spent lots of money back there. We, we do have a, one of the Zamboni family members, one of the grandsons for Richard Zamboni is, I don't, and I don't understand this either, is a huge Eagles fan. And we've kind of tolerated it, but we hope that he'll eventually grow out of it. And, and as a Viking fan where they got whooped by the Eagles instead of being able to have the Super Bowl in Minnesota be the first team to play on their home field, it gives me more passion against those dreaded Eagles. <laughs> Do either of you have anything that you would like to add? Is there any um, organizations that uh, benefit uh, the facility or that you'd like to talk about? We've done some podcasts in the past, one of which was with Travis Roy, who unfortunately passed away last year, and his foundation. Uh, do you guys have anything like that that you'd like to talk about and promote on the podcast to the millions of listeners that we have? I mean, we got a bunch of hockey organizations. We have a uh, Santa Rosa Junior Hockey Club has been around for a long time. I think it might outdate the uh, the ice arena. 
Um, but they're they're all volunteer run, um, and they do a pretty damn good job of uh, of running a youth hockey program. And there's some people in that organization that work really really hard to to bring a, a good level of hockey um, to Santa Rosa because we have a lot of kids here that didn't really grow up with the game and didn't have parents that grew up with the game and just to to be able to to be lucky enough for them to share their hockey knowledge and pass it on to the next generation and keep growing hockey as a as a sport and a an activity in Santa Rosa when it's I mean it's, it's an expensive game and it takes a lot of resources to play it and if we we really want to be able to get have kids get their foot in the door and turn hockey into a, a lifelong activity if they really fall in love with it. Thank you. It, it was great. It was great to learn um, more about both of you. And I would love to sell a new machine up there so that I could come visit and try some tofu and carnitas. We want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode? please email your questions or requests to info at Zamboni.com. For more information and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you an ice day.